Hi, this is the Fatherly Podcast. Obviously, I'm your host, Joshua David Stein. I'm here with Krishna Andavalu. Hello, how hey. are you today? Hey, do you know why I feel low energy? No. It is the end of the year. Mm-hmm. And we're about to enter the crucible... Of the holiday season. No, I'm going to go see an Arthur Miller staging of the crucible <laughs> later. <laughs> yeah, the crucible of Christmas. And it's, you know, I love it. I, I like snow. Yeah. I like presents, but it's a lot of pressure about getting like the right things for my kids. Is it really? Yeah, because they don't like anything. And part mm-hmm. of being at Fatherly is I bring home toys all the time. Oh, yeah. So they're totally jaded. Dude, are, they benefit from that. They are able to play with those toys. Yeah, I mean, then I take them away. Sounds sadistic. Because... Because mm-hmm. I'm a Buddhist, but I was raised Jewish, and I want them to know that everything can be taken away from them like that. It sounds like both Buddhist and Jewish. It's like you know, exactly it's, the, it's the, the Venn diagram of those two religions. It's how you relate to impermanence. Like <laughs> yeah. Jews are sad about it. Buddhists are like, eh. <laughs> it had the seed of its own destruction. <laughs> anyway, <clears throat> this episode is all about two things. Well, it's all about play. Mm-hmm. And we're going to be chatting with Mark Regelman II, uh, who you will see is, well, he's, I think, the greatest playground designer in the world. Amazing. Domino Sugar Factory Playground, that's his. That's in Williamsburg, Brooklyn. It's gigantic and wonderful. I did not want this to look like a playground. I wanted kids to walk in and be scared. And then we have a plethora of plush, perfectly pleasant Philistine playthings. Toys. AKA mean. toys. Like a gift guide of sorts for it's the true. holidays. These are the uh, some of the 100 best toys from Fatherly's editors. This is what we've picked. So we're going to play with a bunch of them. I'm frankly surprised that there are 100 toys. Oh, there's so many toys, bruh. <laughs> Has, bruh. <laughs> Has, bruh. <laughs> we can end it there. <laughs> I think it's going to be a good episode. I'm serious about how cool I think that guy Mark is. Yeah. No, I mean, our architects and designers tend to have a real vibe. Such a vibe. Mm-hmm. So, welcome to the play episode. Welcome to the Fatherly Podcast. I hope you enjoy the show. Hey, Mark. Hey, hey Mark. Hey, guys. How are you? What's going on? So the second, <laughs> not, not not Mark Jr. Definitely the second. Why? <laughs> so this actually has been a conversation I've had recently with my parents because I, my parents are these, they're, they're kind of enclosed people and it's hard to extract information from them. So recently I was like, mom, dad, why did you name me Mark? Like, what was your thought process? Was your dad named Mark? Yeah, well, yes. Okay. So, <laughs> so that's number one. The second isn't like purely, <laughs> purely like, arbitrary. decorative. <laughs> kind of interesting too. Yeah. Like Esquire. Uh, <clears throat> so I asked them because my parents also had me when they were really young. So I assumed there was drugs and alcohol involved. And it was just like the, the, the easiest road to go down was just to copy his name. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you grew up in Cleveland. I grew up in Cleveland, Ohio. Yeah. So my dad's kind of a military guy, uh, loves guns. My mom's a nurse. So it's like kind of a quintessential Midwestern family. Uh, and so I was kind of the oddball within the family. It's kind of like weird art kid. Um, so, but I was asking my parents recently, like, why did you, why did you decide on this name? And my mom, you know, my mom's like, I don't fucking know. We didn't even think about it. You know, we just picked it and now it's your name. Okay. Get over it. Uh, I love your mom. <laughs> yeah. My, I love my mom too. She's really great. Uh, but my mom's also kind of this weird person. Uh, she, she's super creative and she doesn't know it like she'll put things on a shelf in the most beautiful way hmm. and i'll stop her and I'll be like mother why did you arrange these weird knickknacks like this she's like i don't fucking you always ask me this i don't know i put it there and then i put it there but i mean if she if she was had art education she would be able to kind of describe exactly what what the reason was for her placement she has a finely tuned aesthetic sense and it's, this is where you get it from it, this perhaps. is where i get it from for my mother and father my mm. father is the same way it's just like they they have this innate ability inherent ability to make things beautiful and flawless my parents met in high school they had me when they were in high school and so my dad throughout high school would make these beautiful drawings of like 
kiss posters or like journey posters awesome. for my mother. <laughs> that is bitching. Uh, it, it's it's really cool. I mean, he would even paint these things on his bedroom wall because like, we also lived with my with his mother, my grandmother, for a few years. And so I would see these beautiful paintings he did for my mother kind of around. And so the first handful of years that I was able to draw, I would just be copying his drawings that he made for my mother. And he was really just an exquisite artist hmm. and a fabricator. And so he's a machinist now. He, he went, he was in the military, but uh, was trained as a machinist in the military. So he, he's, a very, he's a perfectionist and likes to create stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, so between the two of them, the DNA went right into me or that kind of inherent creative ability. And uh, they just helped me figure out how to refine it. So, you know, they, I was able to go to art school. Speaking of refining. Oh, <laughs> yeah, nailed, nailed it. <laughs> Uh, I don't get it. <laughs> I don't get it. <laughs> we'll, we'll bring it back. Don't worry. We're going to bring it back I, I around. I get it. It's a sugar refinery. Yeah, yes, there it is. Nailed it. How did this playground commission come to you? And I'm so curious about uh, your thought process from a design standpoint as well. Yeah, I, I just want to know how you become a playground architect. Right. Right, because, I mean, architect or designer. I, I don't know how you describe your profession, but yeah. to me, there's playgrounds everywhere. Yeah. There are buildings everywhere. Obviously, someone designs them. But, like, you know, how do you specialize in that? It must There must be some ebullient sense of play coming from the inside of you. Or not. I don't know. Let's see it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I don't know how one becomes a playground designer. Okay. And let me take a couple steps back just to give you uh, a little bit about my background as an artist because cool. I think it will help kind of fit some pieces together. Uh, so I started at the Cleveland Institute of Art studying industrial design. So mm-hmm. I was very interested in products, toy design, interior design, car design, like these are the things I was focused in. Um, I spent, I don't know, maybe a year there and, and the, the industrial design program in there is fantastic. <clears throat> also, how old are you? 35. Cool. So I started industrial design. Uh, I was very interested in the design process, uh, but I was not excited about designing like a, a... Are you allowed to cuss on this podcast? You can cuss. I'll save it for later, but I, I wasn't interested in designing like a spin brush, you mm-hmm. know, like a or a, 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 a one of those rotating suckers, like things that like the the worst parts of industrial design. And I know that there's plenty of good industrial design, but the, the things that we were doing didn't interest me. They, they just weren't doing anything for society that that got me excited so i moved i packed my bags and moved into the sculpture department where i focused more on materials processes form concept um with still a a, a very strong interest in utility functional aspect functional aspects and um kind of interaction and so i started doing kind of working on public furniture retrofitting bus shelters thinking about public spaces growing up in cleveland the the niceties of daily life are no different than breathing. Like you say hello to every person you walk by. Mm-hmm. It's just part of daily life. Uh, and I took that for granted when I moved to New York and, you know, I'm walking down the street. Hey, good morning. How are you doing? <laughs> and I'm like, fucking creep. Mm-hmm. Get away from me. You know, it's a, it's, yeah. a, it's a very different type of interaction. Um, <clears throat> uh, not that you can't get to those niceties, but a lot of times there's a kind of a layer of abrasiveness that you have to get through first. Uh which I think is also, honestly, a f- bit of a function of the amount of time you spend with other people. It's kind of like it's a survival mechanism. The default is just not engage. Yeah, for sure. Because even in public spaces, we're still kind of in private spaces. Or yes. That's how we've crafted our interaction or sort of the, the unwritten rules of our interaction. Right. Also, because private space is such a premium right. that you don't have your own living room. Mm-hmm. You know, J- just to bring it back for a second to the dad podcast, the idea that I could be in my own space and not right next to my kid yep. is like a fantasy to me. Yeah. Like that just doesn't exist. So, yeah, you create these little... Um, cysts of <laughs> privacy as you travel through the and the so are city. you suggesting that that one of those cysts would be just like in your bubble in outdoor space like that is your your yeah. alone time yeah. yeah i mean not i'm not saying it's good or bad i'm just saying sure. that i feel like for yeah yeah it kind of i think about that too i wonder if then there's is there a middle what is the bare minimum we can do to kind of acknowledge our neighbors but still stay in our bubble like maybe eye contact eye contact is like a nod of the head. Like mm-hmm. maybe that's enough that we don't have to, we can still be lost in thought, still be aware of our surroundings and still be uh, kind of a, a, a good force for neighborhood and communities in general. I almost feel that there there's a camaraderie in ignoring each other. 
Like, <laughs> it's like, when you're on the subway and it's like a level of respect that everyone's ignoring everyone else. The subway is a different. Uh, I, I feel like the subway, subway is, is a, a different tone. Sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. I I think in a subway, that's just like the worst part of everything you could imagine in one place. Right. Uh, and a la- and no oxygen. Right. Yes. So it's just like just a bad chain of uh, events and and obstacles. But I think public space. I, I think there's a lot of that, but there at least is fresh air yeah. and uh, large enough sidewalks that you can kind of yeah, skirt Yeah, Terry Gross well, is amazing. And, you know, I think, <laughs> I think having... <laughs> Nailed it! <laughs> Where's it? Cross that off the list. I think having a kid actually kind of forces you into more public interactions yeah. than you may have otherwise, either to like be like, oh, I'm so sorry, my kid is pulling, you know, at your dog chain or even having a dog, frankly. Just like having... A, a child will force you to interact with people a, in, in some really positive ways when, like, you know, you have a sweet, cute child and people are like, hi, you know, that's nice. Uh, but to, to, be, to be fair, like, I appreciate other people and I love our city. And I think there's this unfathomably deep reservoir of, like, goodwill that we have towards each other. And we don't say a damn thing about it, which I think is cool. Unless something weird or interesting or strange or a little kid walks into the situation. Um, so, yes, yeah, so the, the problem that you're sort of dealing with then perhaps in designing a playground is social interaction. Well, not just playgrounds, right? Oh, yeah, yes, exactly. So w- in your project of design, social interaction is key. It is the foundation of my work. How to uh, create a catalyst for social interaction in public space, and, th- and then everything else is built on top of that. So from there, uh, I started focusing on site-specific public work. So I go to a site kind of observe peop- how people interact with the space, understand, do a, a ton of history, work with uh, uh, history, historic research, work with historians to understand how the space has changed over time, um, and then try to create a piece that is really tailored to the site conceptually and formally. Uh, w- w- again, with the understanding that it is going to create some sort of interaction. And again, the interaction doesn't have to be people shaking hands and hugging like that is not the goal it I, i'm not trying to force interaction i'm just trying to kind of inspire some sort of engagement it, it can be as small as eye contact so what's like an example of um what was it was it a reading nest the reading nest yeah tell us about the reading nest because i feel like that was a good <coughs> example of that yeah the reading nest is a is a pretty good example of a couple of things including interaction um so that was created at the cleveland uh, public library in, Cle- in downtown Cleveland, and they have this Eastman Reading Garden, and there's actually a, a, a number of beautiful Tom Otterness sculptures within the garden, um, and so it was, you know, it was an honor to be creating something in that space. Uh, but for that location, I was inspired by, uh, for one, mythi- the kind of mythical creatures, uh, and as a reading garden, this idea of uh, symbols, of ancient symbols of knowledge, wise owls, the tree of knowledge. Uh, and out front of this particular library uh, were two griffins, uh, which it, it, it's actually pretty common in America to have griffins guarding civic institutions, which is very cool. And they do it because they protect their belongings ferociously. Uh, and it is said that they make nests of gold, and that is why they protect them so ferociously, because they're so valuable. Um, so I kind of took that narrative and built this large, you know, a, a massive nest outdoors, and it consisted of over 15,000 uh, reclaimed boards uh, picked up from around Ohio and they were all painted gold so it's this kind of really beautiful golden nest outside uh, and the library did an incredible job of programming it so each day there would be uh, readings in the evening there'd be dances throughout the day uh, different kind of parties and events and it was very much it, it became an, an awesome gathering place a temporary gathering place it was it was there for a summer um, and then, you know, they pull it down and they, they do something else the next year. But that is, a, that is also a great format for creating social spaces. Is something that doesn't necessarily have to last forever. It can last a few months. The idea of social interaction in a playground, not only with kids, but with the adults, I think mm-hmm. it's, it hadn't occurred to me before. And I think all of us as parents, and you have, how old is your kid? Eight months. Eight oh. months. <coughs> lady, we're just we're just getting through it. Yeah. Lady uh, or uh, lady? Boy, I don't know if you've had it yet, but we I've had so many adult interactions at oh, the yeah. playground. Yeah, you have adult interactions whether you want them or not. Yeah, which is like you know you go to the playground because a kid is like clamoring on a Sunday and you and you go because it's fun. But then the, your kid starts playing with another kid. So many. And then, you know, you're like, so oh, are issues. they going to hurt each other a little bit? And you have to kind of suss out the other parents' expectations of like the gentleness or, or you yep. know, horseplay 
index of the, of that child. Yeah, absolutely. And I also try to make work for for people that don't want to talk to their neighbors. <laughs> He's pointing at me. <laughs> <laughs> their community members. No, but <clears throat> I mean, there is a certain level of um, you want people to be able to sit and contemplate the work and not necessarily need to engage. And that is also very healthy. Uh, and, and it's most likely that that person will go somewhere else and have a discussion about the artwork at a later date. So as long as that dialogue happens, it doesn't necessarily need to have it happen on site. It oftentimes does, mostly because the there's kind of a certain level of energy around the work. Um, but if that can kind of trickle outward, and I've actually been discussing this with uh, a sociologist, how do we track that um, interaction from the, from the epicenter outward. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so we're trying to figure out ways of monitoring it, which, which is difficult. Only with the uh, with social media over the past couple of years have I been able to track it a little bit more holistically to kind mm-hmm. of see where the, how that conversation is spread and in what parts of the internet it's spread to. Um, but it would be nice to make that a bit more formal and figure out a way to uh, kind of just refine how we're collecting that data mm-hmm. again with the idea of like what the more data we have the more the, the more able we are to create better and uh kind of stronger social spaces playground playground okay so playground mm-hmm. so i never did a playground before and two trees the developer for that project so they they own and develop most of dumbo um they reached out to me because I was kind of in their radar of artists they've talked to about work in the past because they're, they're big funders of, of the arts um, in general. And so someone asked me, hey, would you be interested in designing a playground? And I was like, <laughs> no, thanks. <laughs> uh, doesn't I mean, it sounds great, but you should probably get a professional to do that. Yeah. And <clears throat> and this is over email. And also before you had your daughter. This is before, so we mm-hmm. had we had baby on the brain, uh, but pre-daughter, and and they came back and said, "Listen, we think your your abilities are really perfect for this project. We want this to be an artist-driven project, and we will put you with the best. We'll put you with the best people. We'll mm-hmm. hire the best people, <laughs> uh, like uh, great structural engineers, great fabricators, excellent safety experts. Like just surrounding me with a team of people that know how to do something like this well, um, and so." I put together some sketches for the project and uh, met with, uh, you know, the main folks at Two Trees and the folks at uh, James Corner Field Operations, which is the landscape architect for the project. And they were super excited. And, and by the time I left the room, they're like, yeah, let's let's do this. For our listeners who haven't been to the playground, can you describe it a little for us? Well, the playground sits on the former Domino Sugar factory site, and the factory has been there since the 1880s. So it's been this kind of like monstrous brick building in on the Brooklyn on the sweet property in on the Brooklyn waterfront. Um, And so going into the project, I was very interested in this idea of sugar refining. Uh, and and uh, Two Trees did this great this great book where they hired photographers to to document the the buildings before they were torn down. So I had all this awesome photography to go by, and I'm just looking through this picture, thinking like, "Fuck, a kid just want, just throw a kid in here. Yeah. Like this is the playground. Yeah, I totally. need to the do room. nothing. Throw them in this factory and like let them go down the slides across the catwalks. Like it is a sweet deal." Um, so I mean that's that's kind of where it started. I I, I wanted to kind of capture that the, the the scariness of a factory setting, that that kind of hodgepodge collection of objects and stuff, um, and I also wanted to talk about the process of refining. So the idea is that a, a child enters this uh, w- what I've been calling sweet water. Um, enters this playground as raw sugar and they get chopped up and discarded and thrown out sludge shoots and then refined and shaken up and then shot over to the centrifuge where they spin and then they exit as raw sugar or molasses right but it's very much about that process and i tried to design the objects and elements to reflect that refining process okay we're going to take a break from talking with mark to hear from our sponsors and we'll be back in a minute on a kid level it's like so my kid goes and climbs up a ladder into what looks like a, a, a cabin almost yeah. and then a sugar cane cabin a sugar cane cabin yeah. there's a silo next to it uh with different levels where they can crawl in and crawl all the way up yeah. 
Um, is there a slide coming down from that? Or? Yeah, that's the biggest slide. I mean, yeah. it's like a, it's like a twenty-two foot it's, slide. It's a big slide. It's yeah. big, and it is fun for adults. Yeah, I bet. <laughs> well, and also, it the materials of the playground aren't sort of like plastic and right. colorful in the no. way that you might envision your your playground, but they resemble the kind of hues and materialities of this kind of carcass of an old. Yeah, of an old factory. So and I'm glad striking. you picked that up because that was a huge part of my design process. I did not want this to look like a playground. Right. I wanted kids to walk in and be scared. Yeah, when yeah. They, you know, like in fact, that that um, <laughs> from a so I I write children's books and I'm a fan of children's literature. Something I picked up on as well from the playground, is, and one of the reasons why it sticks so much is that there is something a little terrifying about it and a little yeah. dark. The same yeah. way. Uh, we had an earlier conversation about humor. It's like the same, what sticks with you is something unsettling and a little bit um, mysterious. Yeah. I think for me, one of the things I respect most about that playground is the amount of enclosed space for kids. So often where, you go to a playground and uh, there's nowhere for them to go where they're beyond yeah. your gaze. Exactly. But yeah. they have their space. And I know my <laughs> kids who, like me, live in a, tiny attic and like probably are sick of me as I'm sick of them like the fact that they can go and have their own space that I can't go into like it's very uncomfortable to try to go up that that ladder into that um, (laughs) that shack and I love that you respect and frankly I'm um, delightfully surprised that whatever powers sanctioned this kind of thing sanctioned kids having privacy in that way that I have so many stories to talk about. Like what you picked up on is so crucial to the design in something. So when I was researching playgrounds, I went to literally every playground in New York City. And there are some brilliant ones and some horrible ones. Um, and I also, at that time, I was borrowing a friend's kid. And really quick story, <laughs> poor Bram. So I borrowed my friend's... The changeling. ...son. <laughs> Bram, because you can't go into a playground without looking like a pervert. That's you have right. To have you a need kid. to have a kid. Yes. So I had to borrow my friend's kid. I didn't realize you had to feed them and water them throughout the day. <laughs> so by the time I gave him back to Raquel, she's like, why the fuck is he green? He looks like he's about to die. I was like, I don't know. We've just been playing all day. <laughs> so I did. So <clears throat> that was like a crash course in parenting. But one thing that I did you know... Have to feed them. <laughs> you have to feed them and <laughs> pour water on them. <laughs> uh, so, who knew? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but one thing that I did notice about uh, playgrounds is that there was this kind of obnoxious uh, interaction between parents and kids at all times. Like, there wasn't a place for the kids to get into a fight or, like, you know, do anything yeah. out, of, out of the watchful eyes of their parents. Um, and there's also a really interesting book out by... Jonathan Haidt, I think, and he talks about uh, social spaces and and this this idea of like we need to figure out different ways of raising our kids so they're not just like terrible brats when they get older. Like they need to be kind of out in the world alone, navigating spaces alone, like getting into arguments, figuring out how to diffuse situations. And so that was very much a part of my mindset when designing Sweetwater was not only did I want large sculptural spaces, but I wanted places for kids to be able to get lost in with other kids. And mm. like, and we, of course, sight lines are important. Everything's perforated. We have gaps between the siding, but enough privacy where, where kids and adults could be separate. If adults want to go inside, I mean, that's awesome. And many of them do. Uh, it is it is challenging for an adult. It's challenging for a kid, but it was very much about creating two spaces. Yeah, uh, I think you're really fucking with a bunch of parents <laughs> I know you are I mean New York yeah. City parenting <laughs> at a playground like you well, know well, I think I'm a little bit more chill now but I remember I don't know if you feel the same if I terrified so yeah scared. if I can't yeah. see my kid at yeah. a playground I'm a little bit better now but yeah. I don't just go like oh they're probably like behind the slide I'm just like someone fucking <laughs> took my kid and then it's like how am I gonna tell my wife she's gonna be like I told you so and then <laughs> and then have to go to child protective services they're gonna take my other kid like it's like catastrophic thinking yeah and my my mine's more sort of like the final destination movies where i kind of see every potential kinesthetic tumble fall injury and otherwise that could happen as a result of any number of of different decisions my kid makes on this on the slide or on the swing or on the steps or on that little bridge or whatever and so I have to, I, I almost feel kind of like hyper vigilant yeah. in that I just, ha- I need to like see it before it happens so that I can intervene to make sure he doesn't get hurt. You can't do that at Sweetwater. Can't Sweet do that at Sweetwater. No. For this, good reason. And I think you're right. I'll bring it back because I, I read an interesting book about sort of how our hyper vigilance, uh, our kids can feel that. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Like we're, we're not, 
when that is, they're so sensitive and so able to detect our emotions and feelings that if we're putting that off while they're at their playground, like it's not a free space for them from yeah. like a psychological or even sort of like psychic kind of fashion. Yeah. So, so and which yeah. is why kids are more anxious mm-hmm. as they grow up, in, especially in big cities, more uh, stressed as they grow up in big cities. And this has horrible, you know, it becomes a horrible problem when they get into school and they're trying to, like, deal with all these anxieties that are oftentimes brought on because of their parents' anxieties. If you take your kids to playgrounds in Germany or, or anywhere in Europe, the experience is much more casual and, you know... Uh, I, I spoke with a playground manufacturer in Germany also, and it was a really funny conversation speaking to a manufacturer in Germany and a manufacturer here in, in the States. Uh, the German manufacturer would be like, the, the kid breaks his arm. Is this okay the kid breaks his arm? Mm-hmm. This is not this is not German. No, no, that's it. Hold on. Just say German. German. Like German. You'll need to German. Anyway, see, he, basically he was no, saying... I don't want to hear this. Okay, you're right. You're right. <laughs> If the kid breaks his arm, the kid breaks his arm. We do, it's okay if a kid breaks his arm. The kid breaks his neck? Okay, this is bad. <laughs> this is bad. Kid breaks his arm? Okay. Kid breaks his leg? Okay. Kid breaks his neck? Not okay. And so these are the types of conversations we're having, which is fun. You know, it, it, and I'm sitting here like with my eyes wide open, be like, holy shit. Right. Yeah. Because this in America, it would, it would be like, well, you can't even the say bars the word have to be... Arm. Like this level, yeah. this this width. Yeah, yeah, well, there's yeah, yeah. code. There's just straight yeah. up code, which yeah. I imagine your your place must, in some way, yes. adhere to. In in, in fact, in there's, every way. there's two code books uh-huh. that 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 you have to abide by, and and they they're not in sync. So mm-hmm. it, it is a a, a a huge amount of interpretation as you're reading these books and trying to design something that's never been done before. Like it was a very difficult and fun task. and fun, and so that in in working with a great safety expert, uh, I worked with Terry Hendy. She is really incredible and a genius the, the the you talked about the the uh uh rung ladder going up to the cabin yeah so that took probably about a month to figure out because there are fall heights you have to deal with uh safety surfacing like that thing had to be up two feet off the ground and then because there was another ladder so close to to go up to the chimney of the cabin that spacing had to be figured out and you need a certain walkway distance Mm -hmm. like it was just it was a a rubik's cube of space because we're also dealing with a pretty small amount of space which is why the playground is so tall because we didn't have a lot of floor space to work with so we went up to i think the the highest point is almost 30 feet, yeah. which is the highest point in the park. So kids have the best views cool. of the park oh, and of that. the city. like the champion of children. Yeah, I love man, it. There's something I didn't there. realize it was until I did this playground and then I'm like, I don't want to design anything else. Oh, like, neat. fuck art. <laughs> what is the ideal number of kids at that playground? When we went, because we went like on the opening weekend where it was like, there was a, that New York Times piece. It was a madhouse. I loved it, but it was like a KISS concert. It was a KISS concert. Yeah. Uh, and... To be quite honest, it was unexpected on all fronts. We assumed that there would be a good amount of people at this park. I I kind of describe it by looking at the floor graphics. The floor graphics painted on there, which are all designed based on the floor graphics in the original factory, um, those were painted on with the assumption that they would be repainted every year. We had to repaint them after one month because the foot traffic was just so intense, uh, which is, you know, it's a good thing, but... It, in terms of maintenance, it's like we had to start recalibrating how we keep this thing up to make sure it looks beautiful for the next you know, 50 years or something. So going back to the awkward interactions I have at the playground. <laughs> yeah, um, I want to hear them. Oh, I mean, they're yeah, myriad. Me <laughs> uh, a lot of them do uh, have to do with the gap between um, like discipline. Like yes. my kid does something kind of shitty to your kid or your kid does something kind of shitty to my kid. Uh. Like one thing I really always want to avoid is like performative discipline of my kid. Oh yeah. Because what, what, is, kind of what is that? What does that look like? Performative, performative discipline, discipline to me is like the other day, I'm going to say real names cause I don't think Zane is listening to this program. Like supposedly Achilles, my son spit on Zane, right? I was watching the shit go down. They were playing three blind mice. He did not spit on Zane. Many thoughts about Zane, which will remain unsaid. Um, anyway, Zane's like babysitter came and was like, Achilles spit on Zane's jacket. And my first instinct was to be like, Achilles, say sorry to Zane to show the babysitter that I'm like a good dad yeah. and I'm going to be harsh and strict on my kid. Yeah. Um, and I was like, you have to apologize to Zane, X, Y, Z. Um, 
And Achilles, he shut down because, you know, he's six. I'm yelling at him in front of this kid and he's embarrassed. And only later was he was he like, Dad, I I mean, I didn't spit on him. And I realized, why am I throwing my kid under the bus so hard just to perform like I am trying to follow the rules and that kind of thing? So it's not even for it's not for your child at all. It's for kind of observers in the room oh yeah, yeah. it's the lowest ah. it's like a judas iscariot but, but that, that's the in the instinct to perf- to communicate with other adults through your behavior to your children oh. like it, it's it's deplorable to some degree but it, i feel like it's totally natural like it's, it's something- natural but i think it's something th- i mean it's something i fight against all the time because i'm so prone to caring about what other adults think me about too. me yeah. me too and to use my kid as a proxy i just awoke to it was actually that was happened last week where i was like oh that was a moment of realization not to do that. But I but well, the, I, and the, here's the reason why I think it isn't cool to do or why, why it uh there's something deeper which is that like our kids are people too. Like yeah. they are their own individual human yep. being just the same as this other adult. So you're actually subverting their humanness by way of using them as props of communication. Yeah. And guess what? The kid is confused and has like no doesn't have the faculties and understanding of social sort of situations to kind of intuit what's happening. But and yeah. so it's tough. And if they did intuit, they'd be like, "Fuck you, yeah, dad." Exactly. And what? maybe they are intuiting that, and they are saying "fuck you, yeah. dad" by doing whatever they do next when they say when exactly like, they don't follow your fucking what you want them to do. But, so, but you, so that's one interaction that I have all the time in playgrounds. Well, but but that's interesting because well, I'm wondering like w- what happens if you don't do that. So say your son spits on another kid, and you're like super ch- a super chill parent. The other parents are probably gonna be like, uh, dude, what the fuck is wrong with you? You you can't be chill if your kid's spitting on yes, the yeah. other kid. So I can see it, the extreme opposite mm-hmm. also being not good mm-hmm. in the situation for anyone involved. I wish I was more skillful to be able to s- navigate and to appease that other parent. Not, I think the way to say it, I don't know. This is after many emails with Zane's mom and just a lot of things. Just saying, look, I'm sorry that that happened. Kids sometimes do stuff like that, yeah. you know, but then it's tough. But so to, to, to get back to Sweetwater, when I was there, honestly, it was a lot of caretakers. And I think that might be yeah. maybe a specifically New York um, phenomenon. Yeah. But I was really interested in the uh, social interaction between the caretakers. Where they're sitting in the playground is, as per usual, like a, along the perimeter. Yeah. But something that's unusual is that the benches are connected so you're kind of you're cheek to jowl with someone else did you think about the adult human interaction yeah i mean so we wanted it to be kind of entertaining for adults as they're sitting there we also had the benches along the one side because the uh in the early hours of the day the the over the the walk uh, the kind of pedestrian walkway elevated pedestrian walkway casts a shadow in that area also so it's just like a, a a sheltered area as well it's essentially a couple U-shapes benches. And U-shapes are known for promoting social interaction as opposed to just a straight bench where everyone's looking one direction. As soon as you accidentally bump knees or bump strollers, some sort of conversation kind of ensues. And that is kind of like a, kind of a minor design shift, but something that does have pretty profound yeah. kind of impacts on space. There's also a stigma, a slight stigma I feel attached to like dads who are too much on the equipment. Like, I get it, bro. You could do a pull up, mm-hmm. you know, like that is a little bit too far. But I am very um, playful with my kid, but I'm not that playful with other adults. And I wish there was a way to go into playground. And be like, Look, kids are here to play. Also, adults, you have to be playful with each other. You know, so often you go to a playground and every adult is just on their phone. Mm-hmm. Like, that is what's going on. And it's like. I've been guilty of that. Oh, I'm. I, that is. I mean, yeah. I'm not apart from that, and I think it's just so noticeable because your kids are off having a great time, and then it's just like, man, that's what happens to adults. That sucks, you know? Yeah. Mark. Yep. You didn't set out to be a playground designer, but now you've designed a truly magnificent playground. Thank you. Word. What have you learned? What is it? What are you going to take with you for the rest of your design and architecting career? Oh, that's a very good question. Uh, that was a bring it home question. Yeah, you really bring it. And it's not a softball question. It is actually a question that I've been spending a great deal of time thinking about. And I go to the playground uh, somewhat regularly to, I'm either kind of teaching first graders playground design or, or, or just monitoring the space and kind oh, of like cool. just taking notes. 
It's interesting because my work has been focused on social interaction. And then I designed a playground, and this is like social interaction 5.0. Like the amount of interaction between parents, kids, and between object and people has been so intense. Uh, and, and, and so now I'm trying to kind of step back to see how I can take elements of that and apply it to other spaces that aren't playgrounds. Like how do we create this type of interaction in a, in a, in a space that isn't kind of uh, surrounded by a metal fence with a sign on it that says playground. So uh, so it's going to be, I think, many years figuring out how to take elements of that and apply it to other spaces um, because I, I would love to continue designing playgrounds, but there are a lot of other things I want to design as well. Uh, so I'm just going to kind of keep monitoring and keep calibrating and, and try to achieve that the type of interaction that's happening um, at Sweetwater. And I will say also, Sweetwater is pretty unique because the um, cross-section of Brooklyn that is kind mm-hmm. of interacting at that space. Yeah. Um, I mean, you have the kind of like the Brooklyn hipsters and you have the uh, uh, the Orthodox Jews and the kind of old school Polish neighborhood community members coming and the Latin American, Dominican neighbors, you know, and this is all happening in one space. So it is, the entire thing is extremely rare and extremely awe-inspiring and I would be lucky to be a part of a project uh, this wonderful and with a team this wonderful, you know, ever again. Like, it, it, this is a very high bar for me in, in terms of checking off all the boxes of kind of creative interests and social interests. And th- there are going to be generations of kids that grow up. Yeah. This is their, like, their marquee playground. Mark Regelman the second. Thank you so much for being with us. It has been yeah. a uh, wonderful and joyous and playful experience. Yeah. Well, thank you very much for having me. It was awesome. Thanks, Mark. Thanks. Bye. Should we play with toys too? We want Mark for the toys, don't we? Yeah, I mean, we I do wanna, mo- don't kick me out before toys. No, no, we're going to have toys. <laughs> do you celebrate Christmas? Yeah. We celebrate Hanukkah and Christmas. What does Colleen think about Santa? He's just starting to get to know him. Because <clears throat> we didn't really tell him about him when he was three. Yeah. And he went to the kind of school that Santa was not mentioned. Santa's not welcome. Yeah, kinda. Yeah. Santa does not need to apply. But now he's, you know, in a school where kids are talking about Santa. I'm sure. I think Santa's talked about in school in ways. So I think he's expecting Santa to come. Yeah. And my, my kids know that I don't believe in Santa. Mm-hmm. Like that is my workaround. Like I'm not going to tell them that Santa doesn't exist. They can think that it's part of who they are. They can believe all sorts of erroneous shit. Yeah. But they know that I don't think Santa exists, which. Um, places a lot of onus on me to get them toys because they know it's me they know it's on toys. you yeah, yeah. Um, and it's traditionally been a very stressful time also because it's expensive but mm-hmm. but you know when you get a toy for a kid right there's a couple of things to think about one is how much it is sure right off the bat two is like is it a toy that they're going to enjoy on the in the long term like I generally find open-ended toys are much more durable than a toy that has one sure. a single single use toy. And the other thing is, are you going to enjoy it in the long term? Because there's so many toys that I have, that we have, that squawk and squeak and they drive me nuts. Yeah. So it's, it's like this perfect trifecta. And is it a beautiful object? A beautiful object. Yeah, that's true. Is it going to be like nice in your apartment house? We do uh, little musical a- instruments a lot. So like uh, little xylophones yeah. and like um, dunk, 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 that kind of thing. Are they well used? Yeah, they sit on top of the piano, and then like when he wants to get it, he like brings the bench out, goes up and gets one. I'd like um, to meet your kid. We should have our kids meet each other. Yeah. Clearly, it's kind of weird. It's that they a, it's actually really <laughs> weird. They have it, uh, but that could be a you know bonus special. At- <laughs> <laughs> our kids meet. Yeah. <laughs> um, They're just but, hitting each other. But. Uh, at Fatherly, we like sift through thousands and thousands of toys, and we've come up with what we think are the 100 best toys of 2018. And I put a bunch of them in a box, and I brought that box here. Also, this Nerf gun, which you're not supposed to call a gun. It's a blaster, but it didn't fit in the box, but I brought it because it's cool. I think we'll talk about it. Uh, but you, Krishna, me, and Mark are going to evaluate. And we're not going to leave here until... until we pick the best toy. Yes. 
until we picked it up. <laughs> I forgot where I was going. <laughs> Sounded good. Okay, so I'm we're all going to... Yeah, let's just dive in and play with these toys. What did you just grab, Mark? Oh, boy. Oh. Uh, it's a pony with wings and kind of a rainbow stream of hair. Do you see what color the cutie mark is? The cutie mark. Where's the cutie mark? Is it this? Yeah, dude. Don't you know? My don't, little pro- You're not a brony? I'm not a brony. Oh, yeah. That's... I mean, I will be after today, but... And this one's wearing sunglasses. So this, yeah. is a, this is a My Little Pony. This is a My Little Pony. But it's Pony. pretty big. Yeah, so this is a My Little Pony singing Rainbow Dash. Three modes of musical play. Listen, sing solo or duet. Sings five songs. This is what the copy says. Sings five songs from entertainment. <laughs> <laughs> what? And <laughs> this is the My Little Pony singing Rainbow Dash, and it is $26. This one oh. look, it, look, it looks sort of like the Thunderdome. Are you guys ready? It's about the size of a, a softball? grapefruit Grape softball. Fruit, yeah. And it looks like it's a drone. You can see little uh, four little propellers. This is the Air Hogs Supernova drone. Good name. Yeah. So it, it looks like a... Um, geodesic dome. Yeah, yes. geodesic dome, which I think it's not quite, but that's what it looks like. Mm-hmm. There's four small... Uh, helicopter propellers and a glowing light in the center as you can see around these are sensors oh and also just to note the dome is wireframe so yes. it's it's not like a solid ball floating through space so you're gonna turn it on turn it on so the sensors must play an interesting role are you guys ready oh my god yes it's <laughs> flying by itself he just threw it in the air and it flew oh oh and it, well, that's going to happen. And it crashed by itself. So it doesn't... It's <laughs> self-crashing. Self-crashing drone. There is a way to program this. Brilliant. Just throw it in the air. Yeah. Did I it will run? say the battery life is not the best. I think that was it. We charged it for like five hours. crashing. <laughs> so wait, what's the trick? I mean, obviously oh. it's not connect, uh, connected to like a remote control or anything like and that. And we lost it. You can kind of, you can kind of just like... Uh, Use oh. your hands to direct it? Yeah, so these sensors, there is supposedly a, um, there's a trick mode where you can train it by, like, if you rotate one hand to the, you know, two circles, it'll do a spin. Or you can, if you do both hands, th- it's a disco mode and the lights move, the light uh, changes color. If this thing works, it's actually really cool. It yeah. makes me think of, uh, what's the snitch in Harry Potter that's just kind yeah. of outdoing oh, yeah. its thing? Yes. It has very Snitches much a snitch feel. Stitches get stitches. <laughs> How much is it? That'll that. Well, and okay, four hundred dollars. It, it brings up a good category of toy, which is the drone, because uh, I think yes. like that's basically what my kid's gonna want. Uh, and I want to uh, like. You uh, want to give your kid a drone? Well, to uh, degrees, four years old. It doesn't need to be like a professional grade or you know autonomous killer. Yes. But uh, <laughs> could could deliver Amazon packages from Long Island City. <laughs> could deliver itself. Yeah. Uh, so you just walk to get them. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I think I think uh, I'm I'm actually in the market for like something that's breakable, not too expensive, cool so enough. Forty dollars. That's pretty good. It's not bad. It yeah. is really hard to use, and I feel like as a user, I panic really quickly to have something out of control flying around. We're gonna take a break from playing with toys, but the fun doesn't stop because here's a word from our sponsors. Okay, next toy. It's my choice. I'm going to choose this one. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah. It's a Furby-looking <laughs> creature with a long tail. I can turn it on. Yep, there's a switch. There's a switch. Oh, the wow. tail. Bring that up to the mic, yeah. Amazing. Hey, you. Hey. Uh, hi. What? Okay. Yes, let's play. So the tail is lighting up in psychedelic fashion. Mm-hmm. The, the big eyes. This is very, like... A, a child's toy on drugs. Yes. Yeah. Like this it, is a child's toy on K. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, is it is it related to any franchise or a series that I should know about? Not an external one. No, that is a Lil Gleamers. 
Lil, Lil Gleamer. Gleamers. I love the SoundCloud Lil Gleamer <laughs> yeah. album. What do you even call it? I, well, it's so part old. of the Cash Money crew. So. <laughs> yeah, <right. laughs> Lil Gleamer. All right, cool. Um, so, Lil Gleamers is short, and this is my favorite part of the whole toy. It's short for Little Gleaming Lemur. <laughs> <laughs> Lil Gleamer. Lil Gleamer. So these, there are more of these. Yeah, but that's the only one that matters. So you can play a lot of <laughs> games with that to- with that tail, like um. Oh, oh, see? there's a different color spectrum. I mean, this is basically toys that were developed by '90s kids who were ravers. Yeah. Yes. Was that a magic wand? This is a magic wand from Harry Potter. Sick. Um, it makes noises, and you can play. I love that. Yeah, it's awesome. Yeah. My kid's got a lightsaber that like reacts to things and it's like it's amazing. We love it. So Star Wars versus Harry Potter. Yeah. This is actually not the most technologically advanced wand on the market. There's another coding wand where you actually learn how to code on an app uh. with the wand. It, it it's a little bit complicated, but you're basically moving around bits of code mm-hmm. um, by manipulating the wand, which is connected with Bluetooth. That's but this cool. one is like a basic and fun uh, toy. This is, for our listeners of our podcast, just go to Fatherly or 100 Best Toys, and we have all the toys there. Little Jack-Jack. So have you seen Incredibles 2? Yes. The thing I love about Incredibles 2 is a lot of their marketing toys. It's not called marketing. Can someone help me? Uh, Merchandising. So a lot of the Incredibles 2 merch is actually good per se, you know, on its own. Mm-hmm. And this is a great example of it. It's a, let's see, one foot high, 14 inch high, 14 inch high little Jack-Jack with a realistic um, hard plastic face. And he's wearing his trademark red uh, jumpsuit. Um, as you know, from the film Incredibles 2, he has many powers. Yeah, Jack-Jack is a, a, like a big ass he's for a, a toy. Boss. Because he can become anything. But by pressing his belly... He gets mad though, right? Nice. Uh oh. I would have. Oh, his eyes are going. Oh man. So yeah, that's awesome. Oh, it also comes with a little raccoon. Oh right, because the raccoon and Jack Jack have such an amazing fight in The Incredibles too. This is the only movie I got on Google Play, 1999, but fucking worth it. My kids watch it all the time. That's it's a really (laughs) excellent scene of cinema okay we're gonna close this um session with one last toy it's over here it's a nerf you know you're not supposed to call them nerf guns no did you guys know that what do you call that a blaster that's better than gun yeah it's gigantic it's gigantic you know what it looks like have remember uh american gladiators yes remember assault assault was the best one and it was the gladiator was behind. They had these huge blasters that shot tennis balls. Yeah, 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 and yeah. And the contestants right. had to like run and have like a dive behind a, and like another ball. thing um, and try to hit a target. So that looks like what the the gladiators had, and it's awesome. Yeah. You know what it looks like? It looks like a gigantic popcorn maker that's been transformed into a child's weapon. That is kind of what it is. This is called the um, Nerf Rival Prometheus. What? And then the subtitle is MXVIII-20K, <laughs> which is actually 1,018-20K, and I feel like they just missed like one of the M's, so uh-huh. it could be 2018. Be 2018. Um, this holds 200 balls. It looks amazing. Yeah. Uh, it's it's battery-powered, but with a rechargeable battery. Did you say how, Did you say the size of it? I mean, oh, it's like, yeah. It's like um, almost three feet long. Oh, yeah. Right. It's, it is. It's, it's huge. And it's heavy, too. Whoa. Did you hear how heavy it was? Is there metal in, in here also? Yeah, feel it. It's so this is for like plastic. eight-year-olds, right? I mean, You know, you technically can't... it's for um, 14-year-olds plus. Really, huh. it's for adults. To and yeah. shoot their kids. Yeah. <laughs> that is what, this is a, a form of punishment. Okay. Before you shoot it. <laughs> let's shoot Spider-Man. Let's just say that there is um, a safety up here. It's uh-huh. got a safety? Yeah. <laughs> this is serious, dude. <laughs> It's got a safety. You prime it by pressing that. Uh-huh. That, like, gets the air pressure going. And then you hold this down. Before you start, let me say one thing. It fires eight balls per second. What? It is 
extreme. <laughs> it's also like $140, which is funny. Like, and my question is, what adults, like, who, who is this for? Yeah. Rich That's kids. a good question. Rich kids or well, childish rich, adults? Like rich dads for their like dickish 12-year-olds, right? <laughs> the perfect toy <laughs> for rich dads to get their dickish 12-year-olds. <laughs> That's why it's on our best toy list. Because it is actually cool. Okay, Mark, do it. But I don't know where, where you want to point it. It's yeah, I mean, fucking I crazy. Like I'll, I'll get hit by it. Up there? Okay. Oh, like aim it at your chest? Might as well. Okay, dude, if you want to try. Is it going to hurt? I don't know. It's nerf. Come on. Okay. Here it comes. You think that's close? That it's close range. Right face, okay. It's you said maker. prime it with the the bottom one. Whoa! You know what? Not intentional, <laughs> motherfucker. He got me right in the nuts. It didn't hurt. Though. Right in the little gleamer. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Holy shit! But the power. Uh, well, thank you, Thanks, Mark, Mark Regelman. Yeah, great to meet you. Uh, I'll for... think about you every time we're at the playground. Okay, well, that was, I think, maybe the most fun episode of the Fatherly Podcast to record. Hopefully, you enjoyed listening to it. Um, we have all those toys on our site if you want to order them through that. You should go to Domino Park and play in Mark Regelman's uh, playground because it is also extremely fun. I want to thank Max Savage Levinson, who's sitting right here next to me. Uh, he's a producer. Thank you, Max. Dico Shatorma is our engineer. Thank you, Dico. They're nodding. I'm Joshua David Stein. I kind of help produce it, but mostly I'm just like the host. Andrew Berman is our executive producer. This podcast is born out of ignorance and insecurity. If you have your own questions, please let us know. Maybe we can answer them, help solve some problems you're having in your life give us a call at 732-416-4571 leave a message that's 732-416-4571 if you like what you heard subscribe to the fatherly podcast on iHeartRadio. and please for my own self-esteem and i think krishna's and max's and maybe dico's definitely not mark's because that guy does not lack self-esteem leave a positive review on itunes next week we'll be talking about weed We'd love to see you there. (laughs) 